Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. With around 90% of global emissions covered by some sort of net zero target, the transition to a less polluting, greener economy is somewhat inevitable. What's more hotly debated is the magnitude and speed. So as the transition takes place, asset values will invariably shift, and some industries and companies will be more exposed to this risk than others. On today's show, we discuss some of the ways BNF is approaching transition risk across various sectors of the economy. The show gets into two pieces of data analysis at BNF. One is the clean energy exposure ratings, which help us to look at clean energy specifically and assess the percentage of a company's revenues that come from clean energy. We also discuss the Transition Risk Assessment Company Tool, which helps us understand company-specific transition risk and leverages climate scenarios, company-level financial data, and key transition assets across nine sectors. To help us navigate what these tools are telling investors and the industries undergoing transition, I speak with two members of BNEF's sustainable finance team specifically focused on transition risk, Tiffin Brandley and Mike Daly. We discuss methodology and how to go about ranking a company's clean energy revenue. We also discuss the transparency of revenues generated by different industries, including oil and gas, and how to assess just how clean their energy portfolios really are. We also discuss which sectors are most exposed to transition risk and why. If you want to receive alerts on your device when future episodes of this podcast are released, make sure to subscribe. And if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that is going to make us more discoverable by others. But right now, let's jump into our conversation with Tiffin and Mike about clean energy exposure ratings and transition risk. Tiffin, thank you for joining today. Thanks for having us. And Mike, thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. So we've got two analysts here today to talk. Well, we're going to talk about data, but it's the story that the data tells. And I think it makes the most sense for us to start in a bit of a chronological order in terms of what's happening now versus how is this impacting the future and how companies think about the future. So in the spirit of what's happening now, let's start with our clean energy exposure ratings. And definitionally, Mike, what are these? So the clean energy exposure ratings are a classification on a company's revenue where we use a combination of BNF data sets like EV sales or country level generation to determine whether or not those revenue streams are in fact clean. To fill you in on what our model can do is that we've assessed like over 50,000 companies and from those we've identified over 8,000 companies with some level of clean energy exposure. So we think about what that kind of means in 2022. 
those 8,000 plus companies tracked more than $2.5 trillion in clean energy revenues. And that, that's about 2.6% of, of global GDP. With the exposure ratings, there's there's two parts to what we're offering. We're offering the clean energy exposure percentage as well as the, the exposure ratings. So the percentage themselves take those company revenues and it tells you what percentage of a company's revenues are from clean energy sources, whereas the exposure rating is a less granular view. So this is where we group companies into A1 to A4 buckets, where an A1 type rating means that well, more than 50% of a company's revenue is derived from clean energy. And an A4 is where less than 10% of that revenue comes from uh, clean energy. This is going to lean very heavily towards some industries over others. So what are the industries that we tend to find in that A1 categorization? So our A1 companies, on the pure player side, we've mostly seen our renewable manufacturers and developers, I guess, fit into the, these sort of categories. So typical in, uh, companies that we've seen, a lot of it's been in the automotive side. Companies like Tesla feature quite strongly. But that's because it's on a percentage term, right? So a Tesla is inherently itself an electric vehicle. But how about companies like VW, where... They're definitely looking at that space, definitely involved in selling quite a few electric vehicles, but also have their internal combustion vehicles. That's where you end up finding them further down the track on A2, A3 or A4, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the automotive industry is going to be something super exciting to watch over the next 10 years because it's very much a divided market. On the one side, you have your pure player electric vehicle companies like BYD and Tesla. But then on the other side, you have your more traditional automakers, which are, you know, they're, they're playing catch up, right? And they've also committed to some pretty bold pledges. I think BMW, over the past year, I, I guess we, we've seen their EV sales increase from about 13% up to about 25%. Companies like Volvo have gone from about 25% up to 38%. And these companies are looking to either partially or fully electrify their EV sales by, by 2030. So, so that's going to be something really interesting to watch. So from one year to the next, you're going to see companies, well, you're mentioning a bunch of them moving kind of up the rankings into more exposure. But can this also be used as a way to identify from one year to the next if companies are moving in the opposite direction and de-emphasizing? Is that, is that, a, use, is that a proper use case, you think? It'll definitely point out or expose, I guess, companies that are, are not committing to their pledges. One company that I've kind of noticed has a pretty strong pledge as well, and that was to fully electrify their sales by 2030. But what I've seen in the past year is that their, their EV sales ha have not increased at all, well, their percentage of EV sales of about 5%. Yeah, the company was innocent for, for lack of you know exposing them. Okay, we'll see maybe over the next couple of years how they move from one category to the next. Let's talk a little bit more about these industries and thank you for going into some detail on the automakers, but how, what sort of trends do you end up seeing from one industry to the next, to the next in terms of which ones seem to have more versus less exposure? Definitely noticed a few trends. When we look at the top 20 largest revenue generators from last year, electric utilities has come out on top. They've definitely had more of like a, a mix to their portfolio, right? Their mix will consist of, you know, some of the long established clean technologies like nuclear or, or large hydro, as well as some of the more fast growing ones like wind and solar. So electric utilities, I'd say, ha have topped with the automotive industry coming in second. I think it was Tesla have raised about $81 billion uh, last year in clean energy revenues. You know, 95% came from their EV stuff and 5% from their, their solar type industry. So definitely trends in terms of industries, clean energy exposure. And for the, the actual model that we built, we factored that in, right? We've got different methodologies for how we're approaching the automotive industries versus the electric utilities versus the renewable energy developers, etc. 
Are there any geographical trends that you end up seeing across these industries? And do you see it being emphasized more on certain continents or perhaps even more granular level in certain countries? Yeah, I think one of the, the things that we identified pretty early on is we tracked the most clean energy revenues from, from APAC. And that was mostly from China and their dominance of on clean energy supply chains. I think it was particularly in the solar as well as the energy storage type industries. I think it was EMEA came in second, but there was a huge gap between the revenues in, in APAC and, and EMEA. And then the US came in, in last. So there, there are some you know, notable trends, I think, geographically we've seen. I'd say like when we talk about the type of sectors, different regions had different strengths in the sectors that they were covering. So when we, like on the APAC side, that was more, as I mentioned, like solar and energy storage, whereas the US, there was more stuff around biofuels and electrified transport. And in, in EMEA, we saw many electric utilities from the nuclear side adding to that level of clean energy exposure we've seen. Well, and we're going to go to transition risk in a second. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about one sector in particular that is very much in transition. So you've already established that electric vehicles and automotive, that moves you higher up the ranking. And then in utilities, you're seeing a lot of this electrification. But let's talk specifically about oil and gas, who in many respects, a lot of these companies are referring to themselves as energy companies in a much more holistic way, because that's their plan is to be a much more diversified business. Where do you find the oil sector on this list? And, and are they moving around, I guess? Which categorization do they tend to fall into? Um, the short answer is oil and gas companies ha have dominated the, the A4 type rating. So that's less than 10% clean energy exposure. But one of the huge difficulties that we've seen with these majors is through transparency in, in their company revenue reporting. What they tend to do is that they tend to group these revenue segments into phrases which make them sound a lot cleaner than they really are. So two examples that kind of jump to mind. Shell has reported on their renewables and energy solutions type division, which mostly includes electricity generation, marketing and trading of power and pipeline gas. And another example is Repsol reported on their commercial and renewables activities. But these mostly include the sale of electricity and gas and the sale of oil products and liquefied petroleum gases. So for this whole piece, like our main goal for the exposure ratings is not to blame these oil majors, but more to point out the nuances that we're seeing across industries and how we're able to cater in our methodology. We've got an awesome team of BNF sector experts who are doing the research on these companies to make sure that exposure ratings are reflecting accurately, not purely based on what's being reported, but also adding that additional layer to make sure that we are accurately, I guess, mapping out the, the energy transition. Yeah, because what I expect to see is movement across these categories and that this particular data set and this analysis will become increasingly useful over time as we think about net zero targets and how these companies in transition really change. I mean, that is the definition of a transition, right? Like that is what we're here to talk about is change. Within the oil and gas space and the companies specifically exposed here, what I'm hearing from you is you've really got to look at the specific activities and take a look under the hood, if you will, to understand what's happening. Oftentimes, you also end up finding, because these companies are so big, so many different activities, do you look at the company as one company and it's this percentage of activities as you've already outlined? Or would you... For any sort of, let's say, publicly listed oil company, would you actually have multiple different subsidiaries in the ranking evaluated differently because the business unit looking at hydrogen is going to be very different than the business unit that is doing oil exploration? Yeah, I'd say when we're evaluating companies, we're looking at that company, right? Like so In a holistic sense. 
Well, not just in the holistic sense, but at, at every level. So if we're looking at a subsidiary company and we're looking at their exposure, you may have a subsidiary such as like Brookfield Renewables, right, where we're evaluating them on their clean energy exposure and, and they would rank very highly, right? But at the parent level, they're, they're involved in a bunch of other operations where at the parent level, they, they wouldn't have, I guess, as much clean energy exposure. So at every level, we're, we're trying to gauge what level of exposure those companies have. And you mentioned disclosure being really important. So the question I have is, on this same industry, do we get much information from national oil companies? I mean, we do and we don't. One of the things that that we're leveraging, right, is um, an in-house team that that looks at um, industry-type taxonomies and and classifying those revenue streams to specific industries and sub-industries and sub-activities. So so we're leveraging a lot of that. But I would say when it comes to the oil industry, we are doing a lot of research at a company-by-company sort of level to make sure that we are capturing the best sort of view on that company. And this is also one of the reasons why we do have both the exposure rating and the percentage, because often we don't have that level of granular in which case we're happy to say it's an A4 type company, but we may not necessarily be able to distinguish the the split between the, the gas portion versus the electricity type generation portion. It doesn't tell the whole story. So that's why you look at it in a couple of different ways. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th. A thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, so then let's pivot a little bit to the transition risk part of it, which is really around, well, how things are going to play out for some of these companies in the future if they don't move themselves necessarily up this ranking. So, Tiffin, can you explain what the transition risk analysis is that we do on our side? Sure. So first of all, transition risk is the risk arising from climate policies, technology disruption or shifting consumer patterns. And if you think about the discipline of transition risk, we have to go back to 2015. At that time, Mark Carney was governor of the Bank of England, and he gave a speech at Lloyd's in London. And the speech was called The Tragedy of Horizon, essentially explaining that the financial markets have a very short-term view on returns and risk, while climate change is essentially a problem for the next generations. It's a very famous speech in, in the takeoff of the tragedy of the commons, right? Exactly. And in this speech, he provided two recommendations. Number one was around disclosure, making sure that corporates and financial institutions have provided enough transparency on their activities. And that would, that would help a financial market to price the risk in the transition. So that's what we discussed about with Mike. And the second recommendation was around stress testing. So you got to remember that 2015 was still in the aftermath of the subprime crisis. And we're just one year away from the European debt crisis 2014. And so central bankers are still thinking about how to strengthen the financial system from a micro prudential perspective. So that's financial institution level, but also from a macro perspective. And that is the resilience of the whole financial system. 
And so at BNF, we've uh, worked on a tool. So Tract is BNF's proprietary transition risk tool. And it is looking at the revenue projections for more than 11,000 companies across 10 climate scenarios. And so what we're looking at is really trying to understand the whole sensitivity of revenues to uh, the temperature outcome of the scenario, all the way up from three degrees of warming by 2100. This is for the baseline scenarios all the way down to 1.4, 1.5, 1.7 degrees for the new energy outlook and the NGFS scenarios. And so you have this whole temperature sensitivity on revenues, but also each scenario has its own characteristics in terms of which technologies are deployed to solve the climate equation. And so the tool allows investors to explore these risks and opportunities across NGFS and BNF scenarios. So trying to understand uh, whether they have exposures to China, where the transition is going very fast to the US, where we've seen recently policy package being passed into Congress, or to Europe, where fossil fuel demand is already going down. And so it's very important to understand uh, what exposures these firms have in their balance sheet. Now, the third element in order to build our transition risk research is really to look at the changes in the demand for commodities and products in different climate scenarios. And so if you consider baseline scenario where the world would be headed to two degrees or three degrees of warming by 2100, what you'd have is essentially a flattening of oil demand, gas demand, and other commodities. While in net zero transition scenario, you would have demand destruction coming from oil, gas. And so this would have impact on the whole ecosystem of companies in the oil and gas sectors, but also in mining. What time horizon are you looking at when you're evaluating the risk and how far into the future can somebody look when they're thinking about this analysis? So we're looking at um, from now to 2050. And obviously the issue is that most of the financial products have a short lifespan. So that might be two years, might be five years, maximum 10, 20 years. But most of what we call physical risk, which is the risk arising from extreme weather events, these are likely to materialize over the next 20, 30, 50, 60 years. And so this is coming back to Mark Carney's speech here. How The, the real question is, how do we price climate risk as a whole into the decisions that the finance industry is making today? I imagine there's a good deal of overlap with the industries that you're covering, Tiffin, and the ones that Mike is looking at from the clean energy exposure space. And I'm thinking in particular of oil and gas. But really, well, let's take a step back. And which industries have you started with your analysis at looking at? Because, well, presumably you've selected them because you think perhaps there's the most to find out regarding their exposure to this risk. I think oil and gas utilities and automakers are the name of the game in terms of transition risk. And there are very interesting developments that are happening right now. So in September 2023, you've had the International Energy Agency, IEA, that published a report saying that peak demand for fossil fuel was going to happen prior to 2030. So this is a view that we've had at BNF for the past three years, and we're calling oil peak demand by 2028. And in other words, we are, we're saying transition risk for the oil and gas sector are going to materialize within this business cycle. So this is not a matter of you know 2050, it's re very much a matter of today's bold decisions and how fast these companies might diversify away from these revenue sources. 2022, we've had very high commodity 
prices. And this is kind of hiding some of the risk inherently that they are. So we see this from the baseline scenarios all the way down to the net zero scenarios, where you would have essentially 2% of the market or 3% of the market removed on a yearly basis. So net zero scenario is very stressful and it would remove an equivalent amount of oil production as BP and Shell produce combined in a single year. So it's a very fast transition. And obviously, the main cost for this is fuel economy standards uh, on the one side and on the other side, the uptake in electric vehicles. Now, there's a few markets that are very interesting to look at. China, obviously, is one of them. Sinopec, which is China's biggest fuel distributors, uh, they have announced this year that they think peak demand has happened in terms of gasoline. So gasoline is, let's say, the most vulnerable fuel out of the, the barrel, mainly because it is concentrated in lighter duty segments in the automotive market. And so this is not an obscure research house that is saying this. This is the largest uh, fuel distributor in China. And so this is very meaningful. From now on, the oil and gas industry in China has to deal with demand destruction. This is something that might be surprising for many people, but actually for electric vehicle analysts, we've been experiencing this for a while in markets that are more ahead in terms of their electric vehicle deployment. So if you think about Norway, that has subsidized EVs for a long time. Since 2015, the gasoline demand in Norway has dropped by 25%. And so this is something that will play out as governments and consumers shift towards an electrified transport. How about the data that we get regarding the company's activities? In particular for private companies, I imagine it's exceptionally hard. But all in all, are you able to get the information you need in order to make a fair assessment of risk to these companies? Yes, so there are different ways to slice this question, but you have a global data team at Bloomberg that looks at any type of disclosure, whether it's from a public company or private company, uh, they would go out there and log uh, whatever financial report they find. And then a team would classify revenues in standardized categories. And we use these categories to project our transition risk analysis forward, looking at the revenue at risk across different climate scenarios. And so in terms of of these data sets, private companies might be captured, but the vast majority of the companies we have transparency on are really in the public uh, domain. This is going to be an easier transition for some companies and industries in particular than others. So which industries fare better than others when it comes to looking at, well, yeah, what are the outputs and what is it telling us? So I think utilities is is really an interesting case because you have this shift from coal, gas, more traditional forms of power generation towards solar, wind, batteries, power grids as well. Is We see a lot of upside on on grid businesses. This is mainly because the world has to electrify. If we we consider the fastest transitions, so the net zero scenarios, we see electric heat pump deployment driving more electricity consumption. We see electric cars obviously driving more electricity consumption and also low temperature heat in industry. And so this means there's a lot of demand created for electricity and utilities. And most of the risks are concentrated around coal, gas, and the rise of carbon pricing in certain locations. So we would cover that and build the analysis on the back of our new energy outlook, which is our climate scenarios, or the scenarios from NGFS, so the Network for Greening the Financial System, which is an alliance of central banks that has published open source scenarios. 
I'm definitely approaching this very much from the perspective of the companies themselves that are exposed to risk. But what I'd like to better understand, and I think oftentimes the questions you get asked, Tiffin, really revolve around the financial industry and how they're looking at this information. Can you go into some more detail on how the finance universe is actually looking at these risk ratings? So in the finance industry, there are two drivers for transition risk analysis. Number one is the regulatory driver. So mainly because central banks are rolling out all these climate stress tests. So in the past two years, uh, we've seen 35 different stress tests being conducted globally, looking at, at climate risk. And these stress tests are mainly constructed around the NGFS scenarios, uh, which are these open source scenarios that incorporate both physical risk and transition risk. And so the players that are under the scope of regulations are mostly on the sell side. From the perspective of the buy side, you will need also a solution to understand how to adjust portfolios to match these strategic goals of the company. Okay, so Tiffin, I'm going to ask you to pick one industry that you found most interesting in terms of the findings and explain what it's telling us about where this industry is going. So our transition risk results for automakers and the automotive industry were actually quite different from what we thought we would find. And this is because the automotive supply chain is relatively complex. So you have these very large international automakers that are structuring large ecosystems of auto parts manufacturers around them. And you really have to do the analysis bottom up. So understand the activity of each company. Now, a company that, that is manufacturing gearboxes is very much at risk in the transition because electric cars don't have gearboxes. It's the same for exhaust systems, for example. However, if you consider tire manufacturers, now the impact on them will be a bit more nuanced and they will not be strongly impacted by the shift to EVs, essentially. And so the idea is really building the analysis bottom-up, understanding what each businesses do. And we have more than 11,000 companies in the tool, but understanding the relationship in terms of the supply chain between an automaker that might be transitioning or might not, and which auto parts manufacturers they are connected to. Sticking with the application for the financial services industry, Mike, how is the clean energy exposure rating information really used by that community? I would say, I mean, there's a few points I can that, that jump to mind. One is the clean energy exposure ratings. They, they help investors and lenders uncover their exposure to businesses that are driving value creation in, in the low carbon economy. That was a bit of a mouthful, but essentially it helps reveal companies that are leading the transition today and those that are likely to capture future transition opportunities. So another really interesting point is around like how it adds value in terms of portfolio construction, right? So one example is we have the Bloomberg Goldman Sachs Clean Energy Index that leverages the the clean energy exposure ratings. So the exposure ratings not only are key criteria in terms of which companies make it into the index, but they also define the portfolio weights of those companies within the index. And something that I'm really excited about is the the portfolio tool that we've launched with the, the exposure ratings piece. And what that portfolio tool does is that it it rolls up the clean energy revenues of the company up to the index or, or the ETF. And one trend that popped out almost immediately is that top equity indices like the S&P and, and, S, and MSCI World had very low exposure to clean energies of, of roughly only three to three and a half percent. And we saw very similar trends when we look at top or, or major ESG ETFs. Another element of the portfolio tool is that it's pretty custom. So if you're looking to build out your own custom index, you know, that that's something you can do where you can evaluate the clean energy exposure that you would have on the companies within that index. 
Because the work that both of you are doing really is geared towards, not necessarily, I mean, while one of the use cases is for the companies themselves to see where they fall, really, it has to do with helping the financial community look at everything in one place and take into consideration so many different variables at one time. And then I guess which in definition is a ranking. How about other ways of ranking companies? We are recording here from Europe, and one of the things that was very hotly talked about last year was the EU Green Taxonomy for Sustainable Activities. Is that something that, I guess, has any interaction with your work, and where are the commonalities and differences in terms of how they might complement one another? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a question I get asked a lot is, you know, what are the differences between the EU taxonomy work versus the clean energy exposures? They're both based on, on revenues. I would say the EU taxonomy is a far more complex type classification and it defines which economic activities are aligned with net zero trajectories by 2050. And what the EU taxonomy does is that it requires organizations like large companies or investment firms to report the share of their operations that are environmentally sustainable, right? And, and there's two elements to this. There's the eligibility share as well as the alignment share. The eligibility share tries to answer the question of, is the company's economic activity eligible to the green taxonomy? But being eligible does not necessarily mean being green under the, the EU taxonomy. There's three other elements, right? The economic activity has to substantially contribute to an environmental objective such as climate mitigation or circular economy or biodiversity as well as conform to the do no such harm under any other environmental objective. And lastly, it also needs to respect minimum social safeguards. In contrast, our exposure ratings are looking at company reported revenues and enhancing that with various BNF data sets to figure out what percentage of those revenues are, are clean. And I, I guess the main point in, in doing so is to get an accurate or a fair sense of how these companies are performing ahead of the energy transition. So we've spent a lot of time talking about holistically how we approach this, all of these different things that one has to consider when making assessments of companies and entire industries. In fact, we've gone into some specific industries as well. And we spend a lot of time here at BNF thinking about this. You gentlemen have lots of people to collaborate with, but I want to know is how seriously do you think this sort of information, both current exposure and future risk, is really being taken in the outside world? And I'm going to give you I'm going to hold your feet to the fire and I'm going to say on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being people are looking at this in the financial services community very seriously or in one being they're aware it exists, but haven't incorporated it yet. I'm going to give it a four, actually. And the reason is because the finance industry is looking at transition risk currently from a carbon pricing perspective. So the analysis is essentially saying, let me know what is the carbon footprint of a company and I'll multiply this by a fictive carbon price. Now, actually, carbon prices are only covering a quarter of global emissions and there are a lot of free allowances in Europe and in China. And so you end up with a meaningful carbon price with maybe about you know 10 to 15 percent of global emissions. And so what we do is very different. We're building everything from the bottom up, looking at the exposure of each company, regionally, sectors, low carbon data sets, and then projecting the changes in demand to understand how companies will be impacted. So I think there's, um, there's room for improvement. I would probably give the exposure to company clean re revenue a rating of about a three. It, it is a newer type space that, that we're starting to, to analyze, right? And from my perspective, 
I haven't really seen financial institutions, you know, leverage the exposure ratings in, in the way that I think it can add a lot of value, particularly like the index creation. Since we launched the, this model, this is something that we're sharing a lot more with clients now. We're starting to get a lot of feedback. I think clients are starting to understand the value of identifying clean revenues within a company. And we're starting to see indices and ETFs being built off on the back of them. So I would say a three now with the view that by the end of the year, getting it up to about a five or a six. It's only fitting that we ended a show about ratings with a rating from each of you. So <laughs> there we are. Well done, uh, <laughs> Tiffin and Mike, thank you very much for joining today. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having thank us. Thank you. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.